0: Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want At eBayMotors.com Eligible items only Exclusions apply The Volume The 3 Now Podcast with me, John Middlecoff is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel Great odds and markets for baseball the NBA, NHL, PGA Tour and so much more Awesome new and existing User promotions, America's number one sports book, very easy to use, safe and secure, you get your winnings fast. I cannot recommend it enough. Love gambling with FanDuel. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code Colin so they know we sent you. <laughs> What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, 3 and Out Podcast. Up and Adam again. Well, I've been up for a little while. It's, it's about 2.30 in the afternoon here in uh, nice and warm Scottsdale, Arizona. Might have a little golf on tap for manana. Uh, we usually do a weekend mailbag at John Middlecoff is the Instagram. You guys know the deal, fly... Uh, just fire into those DMs. I, I don't know if we have enough. So I might move, might not be anything over the weekend, and we'll have podcasts probably Monday, Tuesday, and then maybe I'll do a mailbag on like Thursday because, so, you know, next week's Labor Day. I think a lot of people are going to be screwing around. So I, I might move up the day and, and just do the mailbag on a Thursday, and then we'll just be rocking and rolling the following week, NFL season week one. Let's go. Uh, also share this podcast with your friends Share it with your enemies Share it with anybody uh, I don't really care uh, But just share I, I'm, We're big into grassroots Here at the volume uh, well, I, I definitely am if, if you're Draymond You know you just throw up a video on YouTube To like 7 million people watch But you know A little old middle cop here uh, Needs all the help we can get So uh, so I appreciate everyone That listens and shares And uh, I couldn't be doing it without you If you listen through Collins feed Subscribe to the three and out feed. Uh, I know a lot of you guys that listen through the three and out feed, but some, you know Colin's feed is pretty massive. So uh, yeah, that's where you listen. Also subscribe to the three and out feed, and I greatly appreciate it. And let's get rocking and rolling. So I, I'm recording this before a pretty historic night in the National Football League. They're going to, for the first time, be on strictly a streaming platform. And I'll be sitting on a couch about 20 feet away from me watching the game. 49ers-Texans on Amazon Prime. Now, I'm not going to try to belittle or make fun of, you know, the older... I'm going to consider you guys the older, archaic, just always angry at something that screams, Oh my God, Amazon Prime! No! Why take it off CBS or NFL Network or ABC? It's like, guys, it's Amazon. It's one of the biggest companies in the world. Everyone, I just... I know has Amazon prime and I've already checked. It already has all the games laid out all season. I, I think it's going to be very seamless. Now, Al Michaels, who's, you know, one of the all time greats. I, I do think the Kirk Street thing, little weird, a uh, little bit of a stretch and I'm a Herbie guy. I, I would have liked an NFL guy, but as we've seen over and over, you can't just take random NFL people and turn them into it. Right? Jason Witten failed. Uh, Drew Brees never had a chance. I mean, God awful, right? And that's no offense to them as players, their fame. Obviously, Cowboys star tied in, Hall, future Hall of Famer, probably. Drew Brees, who many people think I'm a hater. I'm really not. One of the all-time great quarterbacks. He's, they're just terrible at media. Like, if you're going to put a mic in front of your face, you better be able to entertain. And those guys couldn't do it. Uh, again, not shocking for those of us that kind of look at it from that angle, but it's difficult. So I understand Herb Street, who's been doing it for a long time, pretty seamless transition. You know, they wanted Sean McVay. He's obviously having a lot of success. They want it and, you know, he got paid a lot of money to stay at the Rams and he he shouldn't have left. He could always go to television. Television's going nowhere. A Rams roster loaded, ready to win another Super Bowl. You, you don't you'd be crazy to leave. He made the right decision. John Lynch, a little less crazy. Uh, because GMs make way less than coaches. But John Lynch, already super rich. Unlike unlike Sean McVay, he'd worked in television. It would have been a seamless transition, but he turned it down. And don't totally blame him. He feels like they have a Super Bowl caliber team. And you're much more famous if you become Super Bowl champion, general manager John Lynch, who's also in the Hall of Fame, than just calling Amazon games for a lot of money. So I, I, I completely understand why those two guys did it. And this is going to change the game for sports. As you've seen, Apple TV now has baseball. I think the NBA, which, listen, has lost half its audience over the last decade. But one thing that where they might not lose television revenue money is to get the streaming services involved. And whether it's Apple, whether it's Netflix, whether it's obviously Amazon Prime, who's been sniffing around now for years, pretty sure they had a trial run last year or maybe the last couple years. And now they've gone all in. Who's to say next year with DirecTV, it's no longer going to have the NFL package. Next year, the NFL package is going to be on one of these platforms. And here's the one unique part about these platforms. A little like Live Golf. Everyone's like, how is Live going to survive? It's like, guys, they don't give a shit. They have an unlimited amount of cash. They're not in it to make money right away. And historically, like these big startups, they get funded with all these monies from the VCs they're cool with them not making money for a while. Now, right now, the economy is a little weird. Then they want results. But when times are good, people are cool with pumping a lot of money in to lose it in the short term to make it long term. Now, Amazon is not exactly live golf and funded by the Saudis. Like Big picture, they would like to make money off this. But I think they know we're going to be able to make money off this. I saw Florio wrote that, they sold it based on 12 and a half million viewers. Now, you know, are they going to get that many viewers? Who knows? But unlike CBS and NBC and Fox, they're not going to be judged by the Nielsen ratings. And the irony of the Nielsen ratings, like clearly the NFL is the most watched television product, but they actually have no clue how many people are watching the games. It's based on meters, a couple people in every market that represent millions of people. I always thought when I worked in radio, and it's not shocking to me. Well, radio's dying not necessarily because of the ratings, uh, even though their ratings are dipping all around the country, terrestrial radio. It's because of cars now. You, you can't get into someone's car, especially if they're under 50 and their car is less than 10 years old without them connecting to their phone. Historically, radio had the market cornered because when you hopped in the car, the only way to be entertained and hear anything clicked on the radio. So they kind of had you by the balls. Now they got this little thing called the iPhone and I can listen to Spotify. I can listen to Apple music. I can listen to podcasts. I can listen to whatever the hell I want. And it's not like I'm in the podcast business now. I know exactly how many people are listening. In radio, like in San Francisco, for example, there's like 8 million people in the market. And it's represented by a total of 20 meters that represents the whole market. It's a complete fugazi. It's no one has any fucking clue how many people are actually listening. And television ratings are a little bit similar, though I think they get a closer grasp, like clearly a lot of people watch the NFL. But they really don't know if it's 12, 15 million, 10 million. Now, Amazon's going to know exactly how many people are streaming. And that number, whether it's 5 million, 8 million, who knows? Uh, but they will know every single human being where you are. And honestly, they'll have all your information because you know if you're an Amazon user, they know exactly what you like. A little Facebook style. It's one of the greatest advantages that these kind of internet-based companies have over the archaic way that media has always done business. It's why they're slowly dying and dying and dying and dying because they can't represent the actual consumer. I tell it all the time. It's like dirty recruiting. I tell this since I've been in the podcast business and I started selling from my other podcast. I always told potential advertisers, when you spend on radio, you have no clue who's listening. And then at first, they're like, well, my dad, he's such a loyal listener. And then as some of these younger generations have taken over, they realize, yeah, you're right. Partly because a lot of people are not listening anymore. And when I tell you I have X number of people listening, that's not a guess. That's not an educated guess. That's a fact. We know exactly how many people listen every single month. Just like Amazon will know exactly how many people. Specific demos. I actually think it'll be a more profitable advertising business. Big picture. Once they get a couple years of data. Because unlike, well, the Nielsen ratings based on 75 meters in the market. It's like, give me a fucking break. You guys are pulling this out of the crevices of your butt. And Jeff Bezos, well, he doesn't technically run the company anymore. Will not. So I think tonight... If you're listening to this on Friday, you know, hopefully it went pretty well. I can't imagine it being that bad. It's Herb Street now that are pros, but this is the way of the future. Everything will eventually be streamed. It's the reason all these companies are slowly pivoting that way. The cable box dies and dies every single day, every single week, every single year. I mean, we're probably a decade away from those not even existing. Hell, maybe even less, you know, And, and listen, the older demographic, like, hell, I still have cable box. But I meet more and more of people, my friends, people younger than me that do the YouTube TV that have all the same. And it's like, what am I? Now, you could argue it's the same price point, And that's ultimately what it kind of became. But that is just the way that we're all shifting. So the NFL was, you know, I don't want to say on the forefront because baseball's already done this. But the NFL has been dabbling now for a couple of years. Now, here's the thing. A lot of their owners are still old. You know, Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft, the Maras, the Rooney's. And those that generation of people are very, very loyal. I, I've said it all the time. My generation just isn't that loyal when it comes to business. Like, oh, you can give me a better price? Like, my mom used the same people to cut their grass or to clean their house or to paint their house. They they would never pivot off the people that they use in business. Like, I've been going to this guy forever. My generation would be like, yeah, you know, I know my parents love this guy, but I found this other guy for half the price and he' just going to work. I mean, so many people like my parents and their friends stick with people for different services that they all complain. They're like, hey, you know, this guy's not even even that good, but God darn, we love Bill. <laughs> it's like my generation would be like, yeah, this guy sucks. We're going to use someone else for either... Hell, we'll even pay more if the guy's better. And that was the one reason that the NFL was never going to pivot off Fox, CBS, and, and uh, NBC. One, they've been so profitable to them, but two, the loyalty. And I think this next probably eight, ten years away, whenever they renegotiate... And a lot of those people, you know, not going. I'm not rooting for their death, but you know, when you're 75, you're going to be 85. A lot of those people will not be around, and their children will be representing the league in these negotiations. (laughs) Who knows? That there's no guarantee that these people survive. When I say people, I mean Fox, NBC. Depending on how powerful their products are, and let's face it, Apple, uh, Netflix. Now, who knows The, the changing landscape? You know, they could all come back to earth, lose a bunch of money. Things change at rapid speed now. If they offer more money, the league will pivot this next time around. So this might be the last time these next seven, eight years of just watching these games on quote-unquote basic channels. (laughs) Another thing I wanted to get into college football-wise, Nick Saban got this new contract. He's making almost $12 million a year. It turns out that whenever Nick Saban is not one of the highest paid coaches in the country, I think it's like top three, His contract has this clause that kicks in. He can automatically renegotiate. And I used to say this about Jim Harbaugh uh, because what he did at Stanford, then what he did for the 49ers, and then his relevancy when he got to the University of Michigan, he was just the ultimate cash cow. You brought Jim Harbaugh in, whether you paid him $5 million a year, $8 million a year, and you printed money. Now, that slowed down a little bit these last several years up until this last season when he beat Ohio State. But he was, you got in the business with Jim Harbaugh as an owner, as an athletic director, as a university, he printed you cash. I think when it comes to college athletics, Nick Saban might be the greatest cash cow in the history of the sport when it comes to coaches. College football or college basketball. Now hear me out. About two weeks ago, I uh, my, my brother plays at this club in Sacramento area, and every Wednesday night they have like a men's skins game. I'm talking golf, and I went to it with him. And I go, you know, three, four, five times a year, and I play in this game on Wednesday night. Get to go home see my mom. It's a, it's an easy one. Play a little golf, you know, try to win a little money. But you know, it's it's hard. You gotta make a birdie on the tough holes. It's it's hard to win a skin. But we're playing with this guy who actually is a family friend. He's probably in his mid fifties. And has a couple, has three children who are all college uh, ages. They're all going to colleges. And this guy played uh, football at UC Davis in the 80s. What's funny is when we were playing golf, he told this story. He was, when he was there, Dan Hawkins, Mike Bellotti, Chris Peterson, and uh, Gary Patterson at TCU. So all these coaches that became head coaches at all these Division One schools all across the country were there. And he's telling me about Gary Patterson at the time. was like a coffee runner. He's like the one guy who was, you know, like 22, 23 years old at the time. He was like a player coach, basically. He just finished playing. He went right into coaching. Who we all, every single one of us, offense or defense, was like, this guy's going to be a star. This guy's a genius. Was Chris Peterson. He's like, I'm not, I'm not saying that now because it's 2022 and I've seen his resume. I'll promise you. All the guys on the team went, this guy's going to be a stud. And if you've ever been around Chris Peterson or obviously people that have listening that have followed his career, you know, the, the dude was a genius. I mean, he was fantastic. Elite coach. Uh, elite coach. But we're talking and I, I don't know him that well. My brother knows him a lot better. And he starts telling me about his kids. And I'm like, oh, where do your kids go to school? He's like, well, my daughter just graduated from the University of Colorado, but I have two boys. One's a freshman in college and the other's a sophomore in college. One goes to the University of Tennessee and the other goes to Ole Miss. And I just, you know, just through family, know a lot of people I think that have like college age kids. And I can't tell you how many of them have sent their kids to the SEC. And these are all people from California. And you can't tell me Without Alabama's run, and let's face it, Alabama's run has made the SEC. The SEC before was just a conference that played at 1 o'clock for us in California on CBS. Well, once Nick Saban got there, and they started winning national championship after national championship, and let's face it, a uh, rising tide lifts all boats, LSU won, Georgia won. Their conference made way more money. They became way more relevant. It didn't just drive the uh, the applicants for the University of Alabama, in my opinion. It did it all over the SEC. And we've seen it in college recruiting. All these California kids. Najee Harris was my neighbor. Where'd he go? Alabama. Now, you could argue, once upon a time, like when I was a sophomore in high school, DJ Williams at De La Salle went to Miami. So the best in the bright, Tom Brady once went to Michigan. California guys have been nationally recruited, but at the rate that they're consistently going to the SEC, but I listen, it's not just about football players. These guys are just students. I can't tell you how many stories I consistently hear about parents sending their kids to SEC schools. And listen, it's my theory. I don't necessarily have data to back this up, but you can't tell me that football and the cool, quote unquote, coolness and relevancy of those schools hasn't added to this because before, like when I was in high school, where'd you go? Well, you couldn't get into UCLA or Cal. You fucking just ended up at Sac state or Cal poly or San Diego state or Fresno state or wherever you didn't maybe Oregon or Arizona or Arizona state, but you didn't venture to the South. I didn't know one person. I knew a lot of people in Sacramento schools. Obviously my high school was pretty big. Woodland. I didn't know anyone that went to the sec, not one. Now there's countless kids. And I just hear in some of these stories all the time. So I I think Nick Saban, one, he's dramatically underpaid. Uh, Whatever the highest paid coach is, he should make double. And I actually had this thought. Every single school in the SEC should probably chip in a million. So if Alabama is going to pay him $12 million, all the other 13 schools should chip in another 13 million, a million each and get him to $25 million because of the money he's made them. It is, you could argue, the greatest hire In the history of sports, if you factor in his impact to the conference. Now, you know, Belichick or Phil Jackson, I mean, there have been great hires. But those guys, like Bel Belichick, made Robert Kraft a lot of money. He didn't, the league, like he didn't impact, he just beat the Steelers, right? I mean, he didn't do anything for the Raiders or the Chargers or the Cowboys. Where Nick Saban impacted everybody. And uh, when I see these numbers, my first thought always is, God, he's underpaid. Um, uh, there was huge breaking news today about uh, Tyron Smith. The uh, a lot of people say this now. I'd be lying if I know he's a he's a really good player when he was younger. He's been injured a lot. Uh, first ballot, I don't know if he's a first ballot. Obviously, he's one of the best tackles of the last you know several decades when he was right. But he he got hurt a lot. He hasn't played a full season since 2015. And part of the when you draft, right? Part of drafting is they always say don't draft for need, and that's true. But you don't just draft. There There is a balance. And part of the reason the Cowboys took an offensive lineman and definitely a guy that projects to be a tackle uh, in the first round was big picture. Tyron Smith, one, he's just getting older. And two, he's injured a lot. Plus, they had other offensive linemen go. You do have to factor in who's on your team. Right, because why wouldn't they just drafted another pass rusher, or another like they? they I, I don't want to say they drafted for need, but that impacted their draft. And when this guy got hurt, there was a story yesterday that his hamstring ripped, and it turns out his actually what happened was is like the knee injury that Becton had, where the hamstring rips off the back of your knee. It sounds incredibly painful. Like when you read it, you're like, I, I don't wish that upon anybody. Uh, but that's a major blow, and. The Cowboys, because when you win, right, if you have a playoff level season, you're going to draft in the 20s. So you don't get to pick the best players in the draft. Now, that sometimes looking back five, six years later, you got T.J. Watt or whoever late in the first round. Ironically, I think the Cowboys once passed on T.J. Watt for Taco Charlton, but that's a whole other story. But the reality is I didn't know much about this guy, this offensive lineman from Tulsa. And reading some articles from people that cover the Cowboys, like who's going to fill in for him? Because let's face it. You lose your left tackle when you have a $40 million quarterback. It's never ideal. But they also let their right tackle walk in free agency. They have you know kind of a domino effect on your offensive line. Now, I've seen it before in the season. You can patchwork something together for five, six, seven games. It's hard right before the season when you know 17 games the guy is not available. The Cowboys would have died just have him available for half the season. Give us seven or eight, and we'll figure out the other seven or eight games. I saw the 49ers the year they made the Super Bowl in 2019. Joe Staley broke his leg, and McGlinchey tore his MCL. And they still were the number one seed. Hell, last year, they made the NFC Championship, and Mike McGlinchey, uh, I think, tore his hamstring or tore his something and missed the majority of the season. So you, it can be done in season. I do believe it's a lot more difficult when you have to go the entirety of without your star pass rusher, your star left tackle, obviously a quarterback, you're completely screwed. Now, they will have an opportunity to make some claims, but the problem's gonna be is the claiming order once the big cuts come, when you draft it's based on draft order. That does not change till week four. So if the Cowboys, let's just say, because they're gonna be some offensive linemen that get cut that will get claimed. Now most guys that get cut, I don't think will be viewed as immediate plug-and-play players and at best their backups the problem is let's say the guy is pretty good that guy is probably not making it past the top 10 in the waiver claim order so the cowboys who I, I think their draft picks like 22 23 24 wherever it was more than likely the guy that they would want would never get to them and doing some research about the kid that they drafted whose name is tyson smith it kind of throws you off because once tyron smith this guy's tyson smith is he is a pretty raw product. He came out after his redshirt sophomore year, played at Tulsa, definitely talented, but texting with some people in the league, like he needs a lot of work. Now, I have no problem with the Cowboys taking, quote-unquote, a, a project with a ton of talent in the 20s. As someone told me in the NFL, he had 10 holding penalties last year. Like that, that was a major issue for him. But this is a team that, let's face it, is not just cool with winning six, seven games. They're, and they're not even trying to win ten games. Like they're they're trying to win in the playoffs, or their coach is going to get fired. Uh, now you could also argue that. Well, what do you guys think was going to happen? This is an aging player who has played a total, I think, of thirteen games the last two years. In two thousand twenty, he only played two. Last year, I think he played eleven. Uh, so it's just it's part of the deal when you got older players that are often injured. Uh, the problem is, it's one thing if the guy's a linebacker or a slot corner or a wide receiver. It's another when he's your starting left tackle. Just a, uh, just a massive, massive blow. NFL kickoff is still a few weeks away, but you can get in on the action now on FanDuel Sportsbook with their NFL Super Win Bonus. Right now, anyone who places at least a $50 Super Bowl winner bet will get $5 back for each win your team has during the regular season you can get the Rams to repeat at 11 to 1 you get the Ravens at 20 to 1 Sneaky kind of like the Ravens I actually think they're almost flying a little bit under the radar they missed the playoffs last year some of the Lamar drama do not forget the Ravens had like 7 million players injured I think they're going to be a powerhouse this year there are also a ton of other future market available like team win totals division winners player props and so many more like the 49ers over, like the Chiefs over, there's no better place to get ready for the football season than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook and official sports betting partner of the National Football League. Haven't tried FanDuel Sportsbook yet? Download the app and sign up using the promo code Colin to get $5 for every win your team has if you bet at least $50 on them to win the Super Bowl. That's promo code COLLIN. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text step to 533-42-ARIZONA, 1-888-789-7777. Or visit ccpg.org chat Connecticut 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, 1-877-770. Stop Louisiana or 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help Michigan 1-877-8777. Hope NY or text Hope NY 467 369 New York, Tennessee Redline 1-800-888-9789, Tennessee 1-800-522-4700, Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net, West Virginia. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. making the process even easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash j-o-h-n. That's linkedin.com slash j-o-h-n to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
0: It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a b and with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.
2: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick
1: And thinking about a massive, massive blow, it feels like just all the reports reading about the joint practices is the Las Vegas Raiders, who Belichick called uh, their facility the Taj Mahal of football. If you haven't seen it yet, I think they went to Dana White's offices for the UFC. Obviously, Dana White, Boston guy, diehard Patriot guy, invited their whole team there. Belichick put on one of the championship belts, he had a big smile. It, it was pretty funny. If you haven't, type it into Google. It's it's a funny watch. But by all accounts, the Raiders kicked the you-know-what out of the Patriots back-to-back uh, days in their joint practices. And the one guy that everyone kept reporting on that couldn't be stopped was Devontae Adams. And I, I would say for me personally... Uh, Devontae Adams is probably my favorite player in the league. Now, I'm biased. He's a Fresno State guy. I mean, I followed his career. I I couldn't follow it really any closely. But part of the reason is knowing people that know him really closely. I've I've never actually met him. But I know I mean, his mentor, who now is a coach for uh, actually the Ravens, who just tells me that they look pretty good. So I think the Ravens are going to have a big season. Everything that Devontae stands for is what I would want if I was a general manager and drafted a player and everyone that's ever been around him would reiterate that. He is, he is beloved as, one, he's just an elite player, but the way he conducts himself, the way he is as a teammate, just the type of guy he is. But when you play with Aaron Rodgers, who is one of the greatest players in NFL history, also kind of a polarizing guy, and just a bigger star than you, I wouldn't say you're overshadowed, but you're never the star on the team. It's always Aaron Rodgers' team. And he's going to play with a quarterback who now makes, I think, $40 million. And Derek's well established as one of the better, you know, top 12, 13 quarterbacks in the league. I think we all agree he's a good player. But Devontae is now the best player on the team. This is now, to me, Devontae's team. Like when you think the Vegas Raiders, the first guy you think about, in my opinion, is Devontae Adams. And I'm not saying he's necessarily the most important because the quarterback always is. If Derek got hurt, they would be in trouble. But as long as Derek is healthy, I do think this is Devontae's, like, he's the guy. And he, you know, he's already a quote-unquote star. But I think the way that we look at him now, he's got a chance to even take his, like, legacy game and everything to a completely different level. And by all accounts, that's what he's doing. Now, you could argue the Patriots. You lose J.C. Jackson. You don't have anyone to cover him. Bad matchup. I think the Patriots, I, I get more and more nervous by the day with the, with the New England Patriots. Because part of the problem is that the Patriots tweeted out this picture of when they went to Dana White's the UFC thing, and it's the entire team and everyone's smiling, having a good time. And front and center is Belichick, and then flanked to on one side is Patricia, and the other side is Joe Judge. Now those guys had proven to be solid, you know, coaches for Bill Belichick on special teams and on defense. Now one guy's coaching the quarterbacks, and the other guy is coaching the offensive line and calling the plays. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be a hater. Bill Belichick's the greatest coach I've ever seen. That is fucking nuts. That, that is, that's the craziest thing I think I've ever seen in the history of the NFL in terms of coaching. That is, that is wild. And ultimately, I think it's going to, now you could argue their team is not as talented, but I, I just can't view you as anything but a team that's not going to be that good relative to their standard. I mean, they still might get to seven wins, but I, I can't view them as a as a playoff team. With Bill, even if he takes over the play calling, he is still depending on Joe Judge to coach Mac Jones and Matt Patricia to coach the offensive line. I'm out. I'm out. Uh, But I'm telling you, I, I think Devontae... I don't want to quite go Cooper Cup season because, I mean, we may not see one of those for a long time. But I think he'll pretty quickly, it's like, this is Devontae's team. And that's a good thing for, I think, even for the Raiders, takes a little pressure off Derek in a weird way for a guy that's had to kind of carry you know, a debacle of a franchise. I mean, what Derek has been uh, forced to kind of carry over the years, whether it was from moving, whether it was from coaches getting fired, whether it was from last year, uh, you know, rugs killing the dude in Vegas to the John Gruden emails. Like most quarterbacks, Brady Manning don't have to put up with that crap. Let's transition really quick to another quarterback. There's a lot of hype on the Vikings. Obviously, Coward is picking them to potentially be like the one seed seed. He thinks they're going to be a team that's going to win 12, 13 games. I've heard a lot of people just that cover football talk about them being really good. And if you listen, Colin had Kevin O'Connell on the uh, on his podcast this week. He's good. Like Kevin O'Connell's an impressive guy, six five, good looking dude, former quarterback. He's like Kingsbury, but feels like he's much more my type offense. Right, the McVay Shanahan like an NFL style offense, not running the spread BS, but unlike kingsbury he's off i think he's married and he said he's got three or four kids actually i think he said he's got his fourth kid on the way so i i'm a kevin o'connell fan but part of their their main issue in my opinion in the last several years they've had two fatal flaws the offensive line has not been that good and last year their db's were a joke when i want to say db's i mean corners and let's face it the amount of pass rushers that consistently come into the nfl has like come in at just at rapid rates, right? More pass rushers every year coming in the league than than offensive linemen. So I don't necessarily blame you if your offensive line is average. It's hard to find offensive line and they haven't been shitty enough to draft high. But DBs, like, they miss on a bunch of picks. And I texted with the guy with the Niners and I said, you know, because they just joined practice with them. And I said, do you think that their offensive line and DBs are going to be a major problem? And he's like, I actually think their offensive line is better than most people think. Because I I said that because I saw a bunch of, you know, videos going viral of Nick Bosa and Kinlaw and these guys just destroying them. And he's like, in fairness, Bosa was just on a mission those two days. Anthony Munoz might have struggled with the guy. But he's like, his point was, I actually think their offensive line is going to be okay. And ultimately, their offense has not been their problem. They averaged 25 points a game, which, you know, could be a little better. I, I think they could be better on offense this year than they were last year. But then he said, their their DBs are going to be an issue. Their corner play is going to be a problem. It's a passing league. This is not 1998, where every single week you're facing Barry Sanders, Emmitt Smith, and Ricky Waters. Ricky Waters is the only other running back I could think of off the top of my head in the late 90s. Marshall Falk. So you need to be able to cover on the outside. And if you tell me their DBs stink... I'm going to have a hard time. I'm not saying that they can't compete to be a wild card, but so many people are picking them to win the division. I just don't see it. Not when your major flaw is outside corner play because that is a position that so many teams that you're going to play are going to try to exploit. Why? Many teams have capable quarterbacks and two, they are star wide receivers all over the place and even non-star wide receivers. You can find random wide receivers and get 70 to 80 balls. So if you can't cover people on the outside, and let's face it, john randall ain't walking through that door their defensive line is okay but it's not as good as it was four or five years ago i i think they could have some issues on defense now their offense let's just let's even assume they're a top six seven offense in the league well if their corner play is bottom five eight in the nfl that to me i, I can't pick you to win the division uh let's fly around a couple things there was a uh a video that went viral today of Aaron Donald swing his helmet, just a massive, massive brawl against the Bengals. I get like, I don't, you don't control who you play in the preseason, and I've said over and over, these preseason matchups are so dumb. What, why, why you don't just play the opposite of your division? If you're in the NFC West, you play the AFC West. If you're in the AFC North, you play the NFC North. Keeps logistically everyone close. None of these games matter. 90% of these teams don't take these games seriously at all. It's just pointless travel. Someone responded on social media like, why do you care about the travel? I, I mean, I don't personally. I'm I'm not traveling to the games. It just doesn't make any sense for the Rams to go out and play Cincy. Now, these two teams played in the Super Bowl. So ultimately, and Aaron Donald specifically, you know, was one of the main reasons the Bengals do not have a ring on their hand. So the animosity in some of these practices, I get. And even watching Hard Knocks, which was probably the worst episode so far of the season, though there was the funny clip when Deuce Staley lost his voice and was trying to coach the guys up and he could barely talk. Is there are fights in all these joint practices? How could there not be? Right? Because it's not a game. So even if the coach goes, If you swing, you get kicked out of practice, it ain't the same of getting kicked out of a game. It's like whatever, I don't even want to fucking practice anyway. And seeing some of these clips now, ultimately, a lot of people are, I don't think anything should happen to Aaron Donald. It's practice. This isn't a game. I don't actually care. But it's going to be a big deal. It'll be interesting. Maybe they find him or something. Who knows? I, 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 again, I doubt anything happens. But, I, you know... I just think some of these matchups are insane. Now, you, whether logistically you're close to the team or not, like you would still fight if you had a joint practice with a team in your opposite of your division, whether you're, you know, the Niners Raiders or it's, you know, Niners Bengals or Rams Bengals, right? But still, I, I just, I don't understand why everyone travels so far for these games. Like the NFL, like what, what are we doing? Uh, speaking of the Raiders, Last year, one of the more head-scratching picks, let's face it, the Raiders had a lot of head-scratching picks with Mayock and Gruden. They drafted a lot of guys high in the draft for several years that did not make that much sense. And I would say the two that are the biggest, most baffling was Damon Arnett a couple years ago, who out of Ohio State, was a major character red flag all over the NFL. He's currently in jail. He's literally behind bars right now. Now, ultimately they cut him last year or whatever. I don't know for having machine guns on Instagram like that. That's just a type pick where the entire league goes, what the hell are these morons doing now? Leatherwood to me is a little different category. And there were some question marks to him at Alabama. He had still been a several year starter at Alabama. So, you know, Damon Arnett, too, but his character red flags from everything I've heard were in a completely different category than Leatherwood. The problem with Leatherwood, despite being a starter for Ohio State's awesome, too, but Damon Arnett, people didn't question his ability. Well, I actually, there's some people that thought he was a little overrated, but the character stuff was really, really bad. The Leatherwood thing, a lot of people kind of question, like, is he that good? And should he, like, a lot of teams had him, like, second round, maybe even third round, just because you played Alabama, Ohio State, and you're a starter doesn't mean you're a locked top 20 pick. And when they took him, I think a lot of people around the league kind of scratched their head and he immediately was a disaster. Like he couldn't play last year. They had to keep removing him from games. And I saw a headline today from one of the guys that covers the team that said everything is on the table right now, cutting him, trading him, benching him, moving positions. It is a disaster pick. And one of the reasons the Raiders, one thing Mayock and Gruden did a pretty good job of is drafting in the middle rounds. If they just would have hit on one or two of their high picks and missed on some others, they would be loaded. I mean, honestly, they could be the chargers. If instead of taking Cleveland Farrell, they had taken Devin White. Instead of taking Damon Arnett, they had just taken another player who's good. We could be talking about one of the best teams in the league. But those miss picks to me are why. Yeah, I could see them win ten games. I could also see them win eight games. Their offensive line stinks. Saquon Barkley said on a podcast, "The sad part about Saquon Barkley in college, he was remarkable. He was he was like Barry Sanders, but bigger. I mean, he he's one of my favorite college players in the last couple decades." And he gets to the Giants, and you didn't need to be Bill Polian or Bill Walsh to realize, holy shit, this guy's good. Now, you shouldn't take a running back at two. I don't care if he's Walter Payton or Barry Sanders. In 2020, 2021, 2019, taking a running back that high is, is a fireable offense. And that's why Dave Gettleman will never you know, be a general manager of the league again. But he was really talented. And he was, like, once upon a time when Zeke went in the top five, early on it was clear Zeke was one of the best players in the draft. Saquon, immediately one of the best players in the draft. But then he gets hurt. He's never been the same. To me, now part of it is his offensive line has stunk, but he really hung his hat on. He was so much faster than every everyone else. He was so much faster. And he also had, like, kind of wiggle. He could make you miss, and he could outrun you. Which, to me, the number one thing that you don't need as a running back, like I can live without, is top-end speed. You don't need to be a four-four guy to be a great running back. It helps if you are, but if not, like, who cares? This guy had that. And actually, he was like 4'3", but he's never been the same. Now, he claims that he's going to come back better than ever, which I'd be rooting for. I hope that's the case, but it doesn't feel like the last several years he has been even remotely close to that guy. In watching just, you know, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm rooting for it, not necessarily expecting it. The Broncos are potentially going to trade Mike Gusecki, and then when Mike McDaniel was asked about it, he's like, you know, it's a story. It's a little misleading. A lot of guys potentially. And he kind of caught himself like they're clearly might trade the guy. The problem is because he's on the franchise tag, his his cap hits pretty high. Maybe they think because they have so many weapons on the outside right now, they're not going to use them. I've always kind of liked Gisecki, uh, just as a pass catching tight end, a guy that can run a big target. I don't know why they would move him. Maybe. I, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't fit the offense for McDaniel, doesn't think he can block. Uh, maybe he got spoiled being around George Kittle, having a tight end that can block, but I, I like Kaseki Kenny Pickett, a lot of buzz. Every day, the buzz. He's making progress. He's making progress. He's He might be the starter. I'm going to say it over and over. I expect him week one to be the starter. Now, I don't have any inside information on this, but it just feels like the Steelers are going to pull a rope-a-dope because it makes no sense for them to put out that he's going to be the starter, you you just prepare for Trubisky, and ultimately Trubisky just becomes the backup. They paid him like a backup, though I do think they hoped he was going to be the starter, but Mitch Trubisky is not good. And I, I often get DMs from Bears fans that, one, say I'm a hater. I'm not a hater. I, I wish the Bears were good. They're just not. I, I wish, you know, I thought their coach was going to be good. I, I just don't. I can't tell you I think their coach is going to be good when I think he's going to be bad. Now, I, I'm not... You know, Nostradamus here. I could be wrong. I can't predict the future, but I feel pretty good about making the educated guess that. And a lot of people are like say his name correctly. It's not Uberflus; it's Eberflus. It's like, yeah, I, I don't really care. You know, this is a guy that was not going to be a head coach anywhere else. So I'm not going to worry about if I'm missaying his name, like Belichick, Andy Reid, Pete Carroll, like those guys deserve to have their name said correctly. Mike Tomlin, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt Lafleur, Mike Lafleur. I- I'm sorry, this Uberflu uber Zebraflu. Like I don't really give a shit. He wins some games. I'll figure out how to say his name. Uh, but I expect Kenny Pickett to be the starter. Jay Gruden, who has just been out of the league for a couple years, uh, he's a Sean McVay guy because he made Sean McVay an offensive. The Grudens took pretty good care of McVay over the years. John Gruden gave him his first job. When the Shanahans were fired, Jay Gruden not only kept him on, he elevated him. He eventually became the offensive coordinator. I've seen Sean McVay. I think he said it in the article that Wickersham wrote about him that I would never have been a head coach if it wasn't for Jay Gruden. And those are the type of relationships, that, whether it's football or whether it's real life and business, you take care of the people that took care of you. So seeing that Jay Gruden is going to be uh, you know, a consultant uh, for it's going to work remotely. You know what I envision? Jay Gruden's on the staff full-time next year. I, I would imagine part of the reason they're doing that, Dan Snyder's still paying him money. Uh, maybe he's still cashing checks. Maybe he's just still easing his way in. But I, I would expect Jay Gruden to be like Sean McVay's offensive coordinator in the next couple of years. And last but not least, I saw that uh, Tom Brady is going to play in the preseason game on, on Saturday night. Let's just face it, this this Bucks thing feels very, very weird. And I know everyone's saying that, but it's because it does. Tom disappears in the middle of training camp. Now, I've heard stories about people that said, if you just look at it like he had told everyone when he retired that he was going to go on a family vacation, and then once he un-retires, he's like, you know, I got to stick with that I'm sorry when your kids it's one thing if your your kids are 40 and they got kids and once you set dates it's hard to change with schools. It's another thing when all your kids are 15 and under like they do whatever you tell them to do. So he could have easily rescheduled the vacation. I don't know by week after the season. He's Tom Brady can do whatever he wants and his kids are like eight to 13 years old. Now I think it's pretty clear that his wife does not want him to play in the NFL. She wants him to stop playing football. She said that years ago. And this is a situation that anyone that's been in, their significant other, their wife, their girlfriend, it does feel like there's some tension there. Now, this is all educated guess, but let's just put two and two together. A guy that is more addicted to football than anyone not named like Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, just leaves in the middle of training camp for a vacation? God, give me a break. And his offensive line are dropping like flies. Uh, I, I just think he's kind of in this weird, weird spot. And if I wanted to put on her hat, I'd go, well, Tom what are we doing this for? You're not doing it for money because it's not like you make... You're not even close to the highest paid player in the league. We don't need any cash. We're already super rich. You've literally accomplished everything. You've won seven Super Bowls. You you got the one up on Bill. You won. You left. You immediately won. You The, the MVPs, the personal accolades, the team accolades, like what are we doing this for? And he'd say, because I love it. And I'm still really good. And I don't blame him for saying that, but it's pretty clear like this is not... Like, is he kind of half in, half out? I see a lot of people saying that. Like, is Tom Brady already somewhat checked out? And the moment you do that, especially in any industry, let alone a football player, it's hard. Now, I did see some clips and everyone came out his first day back, like best practice of the of his time as a Buccaneer. I saw someone with the Buccaneers said that his first practice back from the vacation was his best practice, which may be true. But it feels like Tom Brady takes practice pretty seriously. I've known people that have joint practice with the Patriots. They're like, every single practice, every time you see him, he's a monster. So I I think most Tom Brady practices are pretty high level. Uh, But it's it's weird. There's just no way around it. Their season, it's not weird when you get injuries, but they just have lost, I think, four out of their five starting offensive linemen. And uh, I see a lot of people, it's eventually he's going to fall off a cliff. The way most guys fall off a cliff when they get older is arm strength. Well, it doesn't – his arm hasn't remotely slowed down. Peyton Manning couldn't throw. Roethlisberger couldn't throw. Tom still can throw. Now, he can't move, so you could argue maybe the the demise of him, if their offensive line falls off a cliff with a bunch of injuries and he's just getting peppered, uh, that could be the downfall. And Maybe you get to the point where you don't want to get hit. Now, you could argue how often does Tom Brady really get hit. It doesn't feel like he gets touched that often. But the buck season, man, it, I don't want Tom to necessarily go away. But if, if I was a betting man, you know, if you told me Tom Brady retires in the middle of the season at this point, like week seven, he's just like, I'm out. Uh, I never in a million years would have believed that like a year ago, two years ago. That's how. But who knows at this rate, especially if, you know, he's trying to save a marriage. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Fire in those DMs. I, I need some more DMs for a little Middlecoff mailbag next week at John Middlecoff as the Instagram. And uh, hope everyone has a great weekend. Talk to everyone soon. Peace. Fire the grill and fire up the party. Get the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. Go from low and slow on smoke boost mode at 180 degrees, all the way to high heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full grate sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. Food will look as good as it tastes. This grill is hot in 15 minutes and cleanup is easy. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill.